Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. Today's guest is Alexander Valtengar, co-founder and CEO of Coinpanion. Coinpanion is an investment platform based in Austria, offering different cryptocurrency portfolios that range in risk from cautious to adventurous. I think you'll be impressed with how much thought and data goes into Coinpanion's offerings and Alex's journey from using Bitcoin while in high school to now leading a cryptocurrency investment platform. Let's jump in. All right, so today's guest is Alex from uh, Coinpanion. He's the co-founder and CEO of Coinpanion, which is an investment platform for crypto portfolios. Alex, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. So when I was researching your company, I noticed all these different portfolios, and I noticed that there's different offerings. You have you know, risky ones, you have some that are a little bit more uh, quote-unquote safe, uh, and I was really interested in that. But more so than anything, I kind of wanted to start with your interest in, in cryptocurrency and then how you moved up to kind of becoming this co-founder and a CEO of your own investment platform. Yeah, it's actually a long story how I started with crypto. I actually started trading game keys on Steam. You probably know that gaming platform for yeah, basically Counter-Strike, Dota 2, etc., etc. And I started trading game keys in high school. I was like 16. It was 2015, something like that. And during uh, during the course of like my trading activity, the different forums, I always I sometimes got paid in Bitcoin. And that was I would say that was the point where I got like where I started to get red pilled in crypto. <laughs> And, and and the curse of my studies um, with, with with that like with that back pocket of Bitcoin, um, it started like really going up in 2017. I mean that was the first like crypto um, market explosion, I would say, for, especially for the early investors. I was suddenly like, oh wow, uh, I, I made some money in crypto, and I'm 19. Uh, what should I do with the money? And then I started like researching different investing products. I, I got like really hooked up with stocks or read some good books, and basically in the end stumbled up on ETFs. So the passive um, product for stock investing. And I got like super interested in it because I was like, oh, I'm not that much into like really researching what, what is going on on the market, but I definitely want to like allocate my money in like high yield products. Like I want to gain over the long-term profits. So I started like um, shifting a significant part of my crypto earnings into ETFs. But because I also um, have a, like a technical background, so I, I did a technical high school, I freelanced a lot in, um, as a web developer, I really got, um, was really keen on also having some exposure in digital assets because like I'm somehow, on, a, on one hand, I understood, okay, it just makes sense to automate uh, um, middlemen, which is basically what smart contracts are doing. And that there's a lot of sense in digital ownership, digital transferability, and digital uniqueness. So I wanted to have some exposure in that space. And that was like slowly the, the beginning of the company with, um, with Matthias, Aaron and Saad, my, my three co-founders, where we started exploring um, possibilities. How can, you make, like, how can you make a passive investing product in the cryptocurrency space? And initially we tried around with copy trading, found out that copy trading is, mm, let's call it just a, a bit more of <laughs> a fancy way of gambling because you basically follow some random people which 
do some random trades. You don't know how much um, how much risk they take. You don't know why they invest in a specific currency. You don't know um, what what to do when they're on vacation. Are they still like keeping the positions? Are they like selling it? So it's like a pretty intransparent. But this was like the start of Companion becoming this asset management company. And I would say now we're at this point where we are basically this ETF-like solution for digital asset investing. And as you like um, said before, like um, um, correctly, it's like we have to strike free portfolios which are like um, risk-based. So for the everyday investor who just wants to start in, um, investing in crypto, so a cautious one, a balanced one, a more adventurous one. But I got, I'm going now more more niche. So we also offer products for like metaverse-focused, NFT-focused, um, DeFi-focused. And are trying to like slowly build up our product line, lots of exposure to NFT products like actual NFTs for, for example, digital art, gaming items, which you land, and also going into more DeFi products like um, yield farming or um, staking and DeFi lending, basically. So the idea is really to make companion this fidelity of digital assets by slowly going from the, 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 most, the most common market, which is cryptocurrencies, into going a bit more niche over time, which is NFTs and DeFi. And with NFTs, and basically, basically, it opens again up a completely new space, which is then digital art, gaming items, digital land, domains, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, building the, the fidelity of the 21 century, if you can call it like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean you know, I kind of even want to take it a little further back. You, you mentioned that you were familiar with Bitcoin from when you were in high school, and I can tell you that's you know, kids in high school have an idea of what Bitcoin is, right? But it's kind of rare for them to really be trading with it or, or to be using it as a currency. When you first got exposed, I mean, it seems like you've red pilling, right? You call it the red pilling. So you've been exposed in the space. Was it because you saw that there was an avenue to make, um, you know, more money or what was it about? Yeah, I actually didn't, I actually didn't think about Bitcoin as an investment initially. So like I said, it, it was more, it was just a means of exchange. So because in these online forums, which are used um, to buy and sell these game keys, a lot of people just paid me in Bitcoin. And so I saw it as a bit of an inconvenient form of PayPal, to be honest. <laughs> because it was like, okay, now I have this Bitcoin, which I have to sell if I want to buy a motorcycle or something like that, which in the end I did. <laughs> For me, it really was just a medium, like it was just a digital form of money. But I found it pretty interesting because it was like, okay, it's, from a technical perspective, I found it really interesting because it was like, okay, it's an algorithm which makes sure that it's scarce. So there's no more than 21 million Bitcoins and there's an algorithm which makes sure there is not more. And I was like, okay, that's a pretty cool concept from a technical perspective. But back then, I, I really wasn't in a mind that I, that I saw this huge opportunity of, okay, this could basically overtake the gold standard or this could become a new form of payment or a new form of money. It was just, okay, it is just a bit of an inconvenient form of paper. It, it just kind of started transforming for me like this, this like, view on crypto so i'm definitely not a bitcoin maximalist and i think that that's that's gonna like you're gonna notice it soon for me the, the really the red pilling moment was actually when i got in contact with ethereum as my contracting platform because then that there was the point where i was like okay whoa fuck we we can build a lot of cool applications and um, on top of that and basically automate away a lot of middleman trust parties so i, I saw this um, so this smart contract um, smart contract idea of automating trust. So we have a tool to automate trust. And that was for me the real point where I saw, so, um, where I saw okay, crypto is a big thing. Yeah. Like, like I said before, Bitcoin, I think with when you're like 15, 16, I, I think you don't have the uh, mental capacity to really see <laughs> see that that innovation from, from the beginning. Especially if you come from a di completely different background. It's like, okay, I like gaming. I like selling game keys. 
So, so I didn't have this understanding of investing. I didn't even know there's, there's like stocks and they can invest in it and there's companies behind it, which pay dividends and they're like different forms of investing with commodities, et cetera, et cetera. I wasn't yet in that state. It kind of started, uh, started really in 2017 when my Bitcoin amount, like where the money behind, like the euro amount behind Bitcoin grew to such a significant amount that I, I was forced to like check what, what is actually happening in it and what is investing and what is money to a certain degree. Then for me, Bitcoin just like transformed to a logical solution of, okay, we're living in a digital life. Everybody, and like the new generation basically grows up as digital natives. I, I guess we both are digital natives. So just make sure that we are, um, just make sense that we also have a digital form of gold, a digital asset of scarcity, um, a scar, which is like really limited, transferable and trackable. So for me, Bitcoin is just like a sophisticated update of gold. And I see gold as like a huge thing. Um, it's sometimes... Feels like when people say, okay, Bitcoin is just a digital gold, it's actually downplaying the role. But I think that's actually a huge deal of having like a digital SCAR asset. And I think that's what Bitcoin is becoming slowly but steady, especially with the generational shift and the digitalization of the world. But I think the, the, the huge, huge opportunity of crypto is way more into in the altcoin space where we have smart contracts, NFTs, DeFi applications, which is basically going in way more and deeper areas of our lives, which is basically culture, financial, uh, financial services. And I think that's just a way bigger market. Nevertheless, I still think crypto is a, um, a crypto, but Bitcoin is a huge thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so interesting to hear like your journey and kind of how you view things and then how your views evolve and change, right? Because of the news or because something just, uh, you know, Bitcoin became something different. I want to also go back to the earlier version, if I could say that of Coinpanion, right? Where you were kind of, you kind of had this copy trader platform, and you called it as like sort of like gambling. Who were you copying? Like, were were there like uh, certain investors that you were following? Was it uh, funds that had already been kind of were being established? And then what did you find out about that? Like, did you find that a lot of times the those those guys that you were copying or those funds that you were copying weren't very transparent, and you know maybe they were doing things behind the scenes that even if you wanted to copy what they were doing, you, you couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think companion kind of follows the same route as I did. I really grew up in that crypto thing. I got into it in a really um, like young age where basically that, because I got in so young, basically my whole life started just turning around crypto. So I'm a, I would say I'm a crypto native in a way. And the, the idea of um, Companion also developed really as a side project. So we didn't really think about creating a platform or a company out of it. It was just like this, this issue we had personally as founders that we wanted to have a passive way to invest in crypto and digital assets without actually putting in the time to research it and basically building a portfolio. And because there wasn't a solution of an ETF, we, we, we just thought of, of the, I guess, the most simple, um, so most simple answer of the, uh, of the problem is, cannot just somebody else take care of my investments? So cannot so, just somebody else invest in crypto for me? And what we then started doing is we, we started um, creating um, a platform where you could replicate actions which somebody does on an exchange on your own exchange account. So for example, you have a trader or like an investor, whatever you want to call him, who is doing his um, investments in cryptocurrencies on Binance. And I myself, I just want to like replicate that, what he's doing on Binance on my Kraken account, or also Kraken to Kraken. So it was just like interconnecting exchanges and actions, what is happening on that exchange. And the issue wasn't that much in, in tracking what is happening because even though it was a bit early, it was like 2018, um, the APIs of the exchange were pretty sophisticated. So 
you could track what, what is happening. You could more or less track in real time what people are doing on the exchanges and replicate it on another exchange. I mean, you have the smaller issues of um, like price differences and slippage, but in a general, like these the smaller issues in a general portfolio view doesn't make the biggest difference. We kind of started not liking the product in the end, really finished it. We, ha we had some traders. It's, it was an open marketplace concept. So people just signed up and offered their account for copy. So, so it was not that we actively sourced in, um, like fund managers or traders. It was just like, it kind of happened that people were interested in it. And I think in the end, we actually had around 100 traders offering, offering their portfolios for, um, uh, for mirroring. So I, I guess the platform got some traction. But the main issue we saw were, were, was more on the customer side. So you had all these like traders which um, followed some sort of strategy. Uh, who knows what strategy they followed? And people just for always followed the um, trader which had the highest, like the biggest performance, like the best performance. So there were people who had super lucky trades with 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 some altcoin or unknown project which exploded and made one hundred percent in a month. And people started like replicating these people. Once they made the 100%. So there was trader one who made 100% um, profit in, in one month. And then another, and then the customers came on the platform and said, oh, this guy is making 100% a month. I'm going to follow him. And then it started dropping because it's like super volatile. It started jumping around between the, um, between the different traders and eventually um, churned because they found out, okay, it's not working for me. And I think that's the main issue of like how copy trading works because you have so, so much offerings. And so many people with different opinions, different strategies, like, like we uh, mentioned before, it's, and you're really interested, you also don't know really who you're following. So it most attracts um, like followers, let, let's call them followers, which just want to make a quick buck and not really investors for the long term, which say, okay, this is a, this is a methodology I can, I can relate with. And this is a company I can trust and I understand the, the system behind it and just want to like replicate or invest in a product in a portfolio management. And with copy trading, you have, I guess the other way around where you just have like too much offering where you don't know what's going on. You just see percentages jumping around and trades jumping around where you blindly follow things that basically just attracted the wrong kind of customers. And basically also was a product we didn't like to use. And in the end, initially we were building a product for ourselves. So I guess that that's like the story behind the copy trading. I mean, I, I don't want to like say copy trading is a bad thing um, per se. I think it definitely can work and, um, there are for sure really talented asset managers in the end on platforms like Eforum. I just think for for the general purpose of the platform, the general um, product, it's just meant more for people who want to make quick money. And I always kind of feel like quick money is, is strongly connected to gambling because you, there is no easy market. Um, there is no easy ma money on the market. Yeah, you always have to be committed to a certain degree to an asset class and stay in that asset class for a longer period of time. Otherwise, it's just luck if you make money on it. And I feel like copy trading platform, copy trading itself kind of uh, promotes this fast, um, this, this way of making quick money, fast, easy money. I love what you said there. There, there is no easy money to be made. <laughs> yeah, even in crypto, it sometimes seems, um, seem, um, it feels like, okay, you can make a lot of money in, in a short amount of time. Sure, you can do that, but you never know when it's happening, right? And I think if you really go in, okay, let's say you go in today and, I don't know, Bitcoin doubles tomorrow. It was a lucky trade, but this is really hard to replicate and won't work in the long term. The only thing which really wor um, works in long term is in the end diversification and having a long term view. Because 
if you really believe in a technology, in a, an idea, in a theme, or in a category, and you say, okay, I'm sure the world is transformed, like robotics are going to transform the world in, in, the, in the next 20 to 30 years, then you also have to have the stomach to stay in that long. Because especially on shorter, um, like on short timeframes, the market is not rational. The market is super emotional. And I think a lot of people start forgetting that. And you have to be cautious to not get emotional as well and sell your positions just because the market is dropping short term. Because in the end, as an investor, you go in because you think, because you believe in the long-term potential of it. And you think, uh, and you believe in the long-term profits you can make out of it. Definitely, absolutely. I kind of want to get into your portfolios now that you offer on, on CoinPanion. You know, you have different risk tolerances. We talked about that at the beginning and you label them cautious, balanced, adventurous. And then you have a separate fund uh, for the time being with the NFT and the metaverse. Let's talk about a little bit about the, the cautious one, right? Because that's that's seen, uh, I'm looking at the website now, it's seen about a 30% uh, return on investment since April 2021. And 80% of it is is consisting of, you know, US dollar stablecoin. So yeah, I know that's a bit confusing on the platform. We're actually working on like making it more understandable. Like I, like I mentioned before, we are really... We see as the fidelity of digital assets and digital assets as cryptocurrencies, all this NFT space, and basically also um, DeFi. So everything which is based on DLT technology, distributed ledger technology. And what the cautious portfolio is built up is that it has a 20% uh, exposure to cryptocurrencies, which is the companion selection. So our selection of um, fundamentally ana analyzed cryptocurrencies and an 80% exposure to our DeFi lending product. So you have 80% in USDC with a fixed income of 6%, which we in the background um, generate to these uh, decentralized finance lending. So it's this combination, okay, I have a bigger exposure to DeFi because DeFi is generally less risky. Depends on which platforms you go and where, how much you do, you're, you're searching for. But in the end, it's like based on a stable coin, so you don't have the volatility risk of the crypto and you generate a high return compared to bonds, for example, because you get 6% fixed on that USDC. And I think on bonds, you're lucky if you get 2%. And then you have the 20% risk exposure, um, which is in the end cryptocurrencies. And within that cryptocurrencies allocation, it's our selection, which we fundamentally check. So you can somehow compare these allocation models with this classic 40-60% bonds and stocks split and or 20% stocks and bonds split, depending on the risk profile. So it's a replication of the classic general portfolio uh, method, which which we knew um, back in the days when alternatives were not really <laughs> were, were not really an option for the um, everyday investor, just replicated into the crypto digital asset space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, um, the cautious, like you said, is eighty percent exposure into the DeFi space, and then that, that balanced portfolio that you have is that that sixty forty, like you said, that that, that tr traditional. Uh, and then the adventurous one, there's it's all just you know the, the cryptocurrencies and different uh, currencies and you know different metaverses as well. Exactly. How do you determine uh, which coins to put in, which currencies to put in? Uh, your funds because there's so many. Obviously, um, Bitcoin and and Ethereum would, would be at the top because they're the two biggest cryptocurrencies in the world. How do you like allocate the other ones? <laughs> we have a bunch of smart people in um, at Companion, <laughs> so we are purely data driven company. So we have a data driven um, system to um, fundamentally analyze cryptocurrencies, and then that that's actually pretty interesting so the really nice thing about crypto is it's based on blockchain and blockchain is transparent so you can actually track what is happening on the chain so we developed a scoring system for cryptocurrencies to say okay this is a good project and this is a bad project and we call it the companion crypto score and in the end the score is based out of four parameters 
which we um, use to analyze a cryptocurrency. So the first one is blockchain activity. I mentioned it before. So like how much transaction activity is there? How many wallets are created? How, much, how many smart contracts are executed? How much is the blockchain itself used? Then the second part of the, analy um, of the analyzing parameter is developer activity. So we can scan um, GitHub, GitLab, et cetera, et cetera. How much activity is there? How, much, how many developers, how much activity is in the project development itself? It's part of the score. Then the third one is um, sentimental data. We analyze different data sources like Reddit, Discord, Telegram, um, news pages, and basically check, okay, is there like a network effect happening for the project? Is it, are there a lot of people talking about Polygon? Are there always more people talking about Polygon? And um, are these people talking positively about Polygon? So if you see, okay, this is a, grow a growing um, topic within the general um, space or the general community space, then we say, okay, this is a good project again. Uh, so, so this parameter is positive. And the fourth parameter is actually more um, a market-driven parameter. So we can also analyze to blockchain, <laughs> again, how the money is, uh, how the money flow is. And we look at market data, for example, how much money is uh, flowing into exchanges, how, man, uh, how much money is going out of the exchanges, how are the assets um, allocated on different addresses. So if, for example, is there one address holding 95% of all Ether? Is it like that or is it like a distributed asset? Because in the end, it's like really risky if you have like most of the assets on one address. So like to summarize, it's again, um, blockchain activity, developer activity, sentimental data and market data. And this, these four parameters basically then form one score together. And the score is going from um, zero to um, 1000. And if the project has um, a score over 600, it's included in our selection. So it's really just analyzing a bunch of data, automated, and then basically come up with a score. I expected you to, to give me a good explanation, but uh, you exceeded my expectations, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is also an internal project here at Companion. So we plan to launch end of February an own webpage, which is then called Companion Crypto Score, where you can like, similar to CoinMarketCap, um, just see our scoring model for different projects. So people can just use it to have some more indie, yeah, indie, uh, to have a better understanding, is this a good project or how are the different parameters built up and does it succeed on, is there like, for example, a sentimental positive score for the project? So we are planning to make the crypto score transparent and open. So you get the data and you have your scores. Does that cause you to you know, change the percentage of a given currency within a portfolio or would that also cause you to swap out currencies, cryptocurrencies, or do you feel like you, know, you have to you know, at least stay with what you've invested in uh, for a period of time so the score the companion crypto score is just used for the selection universe in the end so which assets are included in the index in the portfolio and then we use risk parity balancing to um, determine the allocation within the portfolio so risk parity i, I would say is like yeah state-of-the-art um, asset management method so basically look at a risk metric we use volatility and if this risk metric is getting like if the asset is getting riskier you basically start reducing the allocation for example, if Ether starts like becoming super volatile and like going up and down a, a lot in a small period of time with a high drawdown, high ups, then we basically start automatically um, reducing the exposure to that asset. So you reduce the risk of the portfolio. And we're doing that on a weekly basis. So on a weekly basis, basically based on risk parity, we rebalance the portfolio. And um, for, for the coin selection, like I said before, we have the scoring model, which basically gives you the selection universe. And what we do is we run it quarterly. So every quarter, we basically analyze everything you can find on CoinMarketCap and check it through our parameters. 
And if there's a change like in the scoring model, so if one kind, for example, um, doesn't fit our criteria anymore, or there's like a new project which seems to fit our criteria, so it's like a rising star in, in, within the criteria, we um, start including or removing it from the portfolio allocation. So it's like really, okay, the crypto score is to, to, to have the selection of the assets and then risk parity to allocate it. And then quarterly, we update it based on the pending crypto score. Thank you for that explanation. And then you also have, I want to talk about the fourth uh, fund. You have the NFT and Metaverse fund. Yes. I really, I, I don't know, I, I love that fund because you really have to be a believer, right, in the future of NFTs and the future of the Metaverse to invest in that. And, you know, you have the big players there. You have Ethereum, you have you know, Axis, Mana, Sand, Engine, Flow Blockchain. So you have all the big players there, but you, you're also, you know, the exposure's there, it's diversified. Could you talk about that? I mean, the development of that and, and how you decide to create that? Yeah, definitely. So basically the development for each portfolio is the same. We always use the companion crypto score for the selection mechanism and basically then use risk parity to balance the assets. What we started doing now is because we got a lot of interest of specific domains within the cryptocurrency space, that we offer category-based portfolios. So for example, the NFT and Metaverse portfolio, which is, which is just covering projects which, which are into, into this domain of building the Metaverse or the NFT or NFT projects. So for example, you mentioned before Ethereum, Polygon, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a lot of projects which basically support that ecosystem for NFTs or support the ecosystem of the Metaverse. And actually, I think around 40% of our customers have an exposure to the NFT and Metaverse portfolio. So it's definitely one of the most um, popular products on the platform. And the idea is basic, was basically customer-driven. So we got a lot of customers asking us, oh, what do you think about the Metaverse and the NFTs? And how do you think is, uh, is the world, um, is the space transforming? How much do you think are going to, uh, how much impact is there, is there already? What's the potential behind it, et cetera, et cetera. And we saw the customers wanted to have some exposure to that space. And because we at Companion are also a huge believer in it. So that's also the reason we want to offer products like mainly um, focus on NFTs, for example, like digital art, gaming items. I mentioned it before. We said, okay, that definitely makes sense to have a thematic product just covering that space. If people really want to go into the NFT tech and metaverse tech, they can have a simple exposure to it. And I think it, it makes even more sense also for like a, a bit more experienced investors in the cryptocurrency space because like the, the cautious, the balance and the adventurous portfolio is really for beginners who say, okay, I want to have like a crypto exposure, but I don't want to take care of like checking the market or getting deeper um, into the space than Bitcoin or Ethereum, for example. But the Metaverse and NFT and Metaverse portfolio is like touching again a completely separate space of the whole cryptocurrency market. And I guess it, it takes even more time. You, you have to spend even more time to, um, to research, to stay up to date because it's such a fast paced environment. And we basically take away that work from the customer and say, okay, if you want to have exposure to that part of the cryptocurrency market, you can like easily invest in it through our portfolio. So the idea was really customer driven. We believe in the space and we just wanted to offer a simple solution for the investors. But the methodology always the same. It always stays the data driven fundamental approach to select the cryptocurrencies and our data driven allocation algorithm. So those are the four funds right now. Oh no, we actually have a fifth one. Yeah, it's probably not on a landing page yet because we are rebuilding it. So we also launched, I think it's, it was two or three weeks ago, a DeFi-focused fund. So it's the same for NFTs and Metaverse. Um, I think DeFi, decentralized finance, is one of the main spaces involving within the cryptocurrency domain. And we wanted to offer products around exactly that domain and we released it about three weeks ago.
Okay, I, I'm looking forward to that. Would you say that that's more on the um, kind of um, cautious side or is that more on, on the kind of riskier side? They are definitely both more on the risky side. So it's like a 100% um, exposure to crypto. And I, I would definitely say it, it always depends what you define as risk. But I would say generally the asset class, cryptocurrencies is a risky asset class. And if you say, okay, I have 100% exposure to NFT tokens or DeFi tokens, which are generally even a bit smaller than Bitcoin and Ethereum, that is definitely a risky portfolio. And I would say they, they both are they, they both are the two riskiest portfolios we offer on the platform currently. But it always comes with, <laughs> with a but in the end. It's always this trade-off of risk and rot. I, I would say they are super risky, but they have a huge upside potential too. So definitely not put like 100% of your disposable income into the NFT or Metaverse portfolio or the DeFi portfolio, but it probably makes sense if you say, I believe in that space, you have some sort of allocation to it. I think what investors have to see is really, you always have your like overall portfolio, which is a combination of hopefully different asset classes. And then within that, you can take more risky positions and less risky positions. It just in the end, as a general total portfolio, you have to be fine with the risk you take. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, the, like you said, the, it depends on how you define risk. And I like what you said, because definitely the, the cryptocurrencies are volatile, right? But if you believe in the space, right, and you're willing to be a long-term holder, the way you, you view that risk is, well, you don't even view it as a risk any, anyway. You probably view it as a, it being inevitable, the way of the future. And so you, you're okay with losing, you know, 50% of the value of a fund if you're just, if you're looking at a, a 10, 15 year horizon. Definitely. Risk is actually a super interesting topic within the investing space because there is not a metric which is risk. Like you, you cannot define uh, mathematically what is risk. That you can say, okay, volatility is risk or drawdown is risk. Or I don't know, if the sharp ratio is like below X, it's, it's risk. So there that, are that, different metrics you can use to define risk, but there's like no general explanation. Okay, if X is the case, then it's risky. And then there are like more fundamental factors, like you mentioned before, if you really believe that's the future and you see it as it's like, it's impossible that th this is not going to happen, then how does that um, reflect in the risk again, right? I define risk a lot with volatility and drawdown. So how much losses can you take within a time frame? Because crypto, like I said before, perhaps it's not risky at all, but I guess it's super risky if you just view um, like your investing time span is just a month because then you can lose 90%, who knows? So it's a really, I would say it's a philosophical question. What is risk? In the end, you just have to be fine with it. Yeah, absolutely. You touched upon the, the weekly rebalancing, which, which is, is great. You know, I'm limited to some of my funds that I invest in in the United States. I can only like rebalance my savings accounts for my children or even my some of my um, retirement funds, I can only rebalance them like twice a year. So it's amazing that you're doing that every week. The second thing I want to touch on though is, and I see this, I'm always curious, having a carbon neutral portfolio, what does that mean? And is that part of the, the regulations in the EU? So it's definitely not part of the regulations. So you don't have to have a CO2 um, neutral portfolio. So all, the, all, all products you buy on Companion are basically CO2 neutral, which means we compensate the CO2 involved in blockchain activity. It's always a bit of a hard topic. I would say there is definitely an energy problem within the cryptocurrency space. So Bitcoin is using up a lot of energy. Ethereum is using a lot of energy. And there are different other projects which use it a relatively a lot of energy. But I would also say the space is definitely moving away from it because we are switching from the consensus algorithm of proof of work, where we use energy to um, validate transactions, to use capital proof of stake 
to validate transactions and use capital as the consensus in the end, which is like on the one hand, way more energy efficient because you don't have to like use computer power to validate transactions. And the second thing is, which is also important, it's like, it's way more scalable. We are running in scalability problems with the proof of work consensus algorithm. So on one hand is okay, it is not ideal currently, but on the other hand, it's getting way better. And we already see a lot of projects which started with proof of stake, which have now high market caps, high, um, high um, usage coverage, and also um, existing projects like Ethereum moving to proof of stake, which is basically energy um, efficient. But what we wanted to do as companion until that happens is to at least compensate what is inevitable currently. So or what is the energy involved, which we cannot dodge in the end. So we started to um, make calculations around, okay, how many transactions are happening because of companion on the Bitcoin blockchain, for example, how much energy is involved in every transaction. And in the end, come up with a calculation of, okay, this is how much energy is used for our transactions. And this is how much CO2 we estimate um, that is generated because of companion or the investors on companion. And in the end, we doubled that number. So we calculated and estimated it. We doubled it in the end. And we then collaborated with a company called Offsetra to compensate it. And we basically use our revenue, which we generate um, for our portfolio um, management activity and invested in, for example, solar projects, um, forest protection projects, and try to just do our fair part in making it less of a problem. That's a great idea, man. And, and really, it I, I should be almost like at the, the, at the front of, your, uh, of the website, if I could say so myself. Because, you know, it shows that you're compensating and it shows that you're aware of the issue, right? I think people would tend to give you some credit for that. The other thing, I, I guess, when, when you speak about that, I almost feel like we are, you know, like the, the cryptocurrency space is, yes, there's, a, there's an energy consumption problem or issue. But it's almost like they're building and using the energy to build something better in the future. It's almost like an investment, right? Yeah, I also, I also see it, like, I definitely don't see it as, like you said, it's an issue because it's never good to consume a lot of energy, especially in times like this, where we actually really have to look out for, like, we really have to look to reduce CO2 emissions. So a lot of energy and consumption is not good. But you said it's, we kind of needed that invention because it's improving a lot of different um, aspects of our life. And we know it's just a temporary thing. I think that's the most important thing. It's just temporary. It's not the end solution. And we know it's going away from that side. Absolutely. Let's talk about from the investor side. So uh, somebody is interested in investing uh, in, in your portfolios. Could you talk to me a little bit about, like, is there a minimum that someone needs to open an account? What are the fees? And also, uh, if you could talk about the geographical areas, who can invest? You know, we have listeners all over the world. So um, currently, we are only open for European investors. So you have to have your residency seat in the European Union or the um, European Union, um, economic area. So unfortunately, we cannot um, accept US investors. But for all the European investors, it's actually super easy. And actually, with, actually you can enjoy the product with low minimums. So you can start with 50 euros, um, easily pay in with um, a bank transfer or credit card deposit or debit card deposit. The fee model is also pretty transparent. You see it on the website and uh, within the dashboard and in the transaction history. So you pay a 2% management fee on our managed products per year. So we calculate it man uh, monthly and charge it monthly. So over the year's time frame, you pay 2% on your portfolio amount. And then we have our um, exchange fee. So every time you buy and sell our product, um, there's a 1% fee uh, involved. So for example, you invest now 100 euro in our adventurous portfolio, you in, you in the end have 99 euros to start with in the adventurous portfolio. 
which I think is a fair system compared to other brokers, for example, where you like Coinbase, where you pay 1.5%. So it's, we are a bit on the cheaper side with the brokerage fee, but for the managed products, you have the 2% management fee. If you want, you can also buy Bitcoin and Ethereum to companion. And we also extend in the single asset selection. So if people get like interested in investing, like, I don't know, they try out their NFT and metaverse portfolio, find one project super interesting. They can even increase their position individually. So easy platform. We are on web. We have a web application. We have an iOS application with an Android application. So I, I would say it's pretty, pretty, pretty easy to start with companion. And that's the general idea. We want to make it as simple as possible. So everybody has the chance to really participate in that. I would say once in a lifetime, um, birth of a new asset class. <laughs> Absolutely. It truly is. Any plans on uh, expanding to where you could get investors from different parts of the world uh, other than the than European? So we are now, and also for the time being, strongly, strongly focused on the European market. We see a lot of potential here, actually, because if you compare it to, for example, to Asia or the US, the market in Europe is definitely not as developed as the United States. And we see that there's space for a regulated solution um, in the European Union. And we're basically focusing our energy on building a product for European Union and being the leader there. So as of right now, and I would say also in the next couple of years, our focus will remain on the European Union um, or the European um, economic area. In itself, it's, it's already a huge market and we definitely um, still have a lot of space to grow there. I want to touch on maybe one or two more questions. So I, I, I think we talked about this uh, prior to, to hitting the recording the, the conversation. Um, you talked about then offering moving into fractionalizing NFTs. You know, kind of in the in the way that I don't know if you're familiar with the platforms in the United States, the you know Rally or Otis. Yeah, yeah for sure, I use them. <laughs> yeah, you okay. So you're talking about developing that yourself. Uh, you know, so you're basically gonna buy an asset uh, and then sell the shares off. That that's kind of the the uh, interesting to talk about. That the second thing is though. You and I read something where these, recently you, you kind of saw how the NFTs had a little run there for like a week. Maybe and maybe they're starting up again because you know you know how NFTs are. Yeah, <laughs> they decoupled right from crypto, the crypto world. The NFTs almost became like a completely separate asset class. Yes, it's it's you know Ethereum, Solana. You have all these different uh, cryptocurrencies, but they almost for a while they looked like they were going to do their own thing, and they really did for like a week. Yeah, fundamentally it also makes sense because it's the same technology, but it's a different asset. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, the board apes reached uh, an all-time high. They got up to like the floor price got up to like 320, 330,000 almost. Do you see that that happening where it it really should be treated as a as a separate asset class that's going to kind of create its own economy even though it already has? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> now we're tapping into a topic I I'm we can make an own podcast once on NFTs if you want. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a strong believer in NFTs because I definitely think this is where our world is moving. So I strongly believe in this metaverse idea that our lives become more and more digital and that the moment you're born in, in, in this time is basically the moment you're born, there's a digital copy of yourself. And I think this is becoming stronger and stronger, like this digital nativeness and our, um, um, of our, our way of living digital. So I think NFTs are just like a logical supplement to it because also in a digital um, ecosystem, a digital world, you want to have uniqueness and ownership. And that's basically what NFT brings to the digital world. So I strongly believe in it. And I also believe that NFTs in itself are an own asset class or are becoming an own asset class. And I think in far down um, the road that within NFTs, there will be multiple asset classes because NFTs in the end 
I know it's like a buzzword right now, but NFT is basically just a technology. It's just, okay, you have a non-fungible token which represents a digital good in the end. But you can use it for so many different things. You can use it for virtual land, like Sandbox, Decentraland. You can use it for music rights, so you can participate on a musician's um, royalties. Um, you, you can use it on digital art. You can use it for community items. You can use it for gaming items. So everything which happens in this digital ecosystem you can use NFTs for to basically make them unique and ownable. And I strongly believe over the long term, we will see digital art as an own asset class. We will see gaming items as an own asset class. We will see domains as an own asset class. We will see virtual land as an own asset class. So I think over the long term, the space is becoming so, so huge. And that's actually the thing which makes me so crazy about it is I strongly believe this is actually the biggest market in itself. So this is basically the digitization of culture, which is currently happening and making ownable and transferable and monetizable. And so I, I think we are in a, in a super, super early stage of NFTs, even though there's a lot of hype. But if you look at what projects are out there or how the market cap is currently, I think it's around 40 billion, something like that. It's super, super early. I mean, art itself is like 1.7 trillion, something like that. So like the classic art market is so much bigger than the whole NFT market, but I think NFTs touches way more asset classes in itself. So I think this is going to become way bigger over the future, but it will take some time because most of the projects we currently see are, yeah, I would say collectibles by, by best. And there's not so much use case yet. It's, it's developing. There's a lot of money going into the space. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of human capital and intelligence going into that space. But it's currently in a super, super early phase. And also I would say in a, in a bit of a risky and dangerous phase in the sense of 99% of the NFTs you currently um, see on the market will be more or less worthless over the next 10 years. You do believe that there, that there's going to be uh, some pain there, that for people right now that are holding maybe an NFT project that's two, three, four ETH, that you do believe that a total of a market Zero. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you always see this uh, when new markets develop. We saw it with the dot-com bubble. We saw it with crypto 2017. And we also see it now in crypto. So always when there's like people getting interested in something and there's like a hype forming in it. And it, 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 it always depends how big the hype is. But within a hype, there are always useless assets, which in the end have no value beside the hype. And I see it a lot on now happening with NFTs. There are a lot of collections or like art collections or what you want to call them, which have no, like no artistic value in itself. So there's not, this is not an artist, which has like a history and like a cultural connection. It's not an art piece, which you can use, I don't know, as a key to a secret club or something. It's just a random avatar. And th this is a lot of projects currently. And I don't see that having value over 10 to 20 years. For sure, some projects like CryptoPunk also have no value in itself, but I think they have this cultural value already that they're the first collection in the NFT space. And being the first has already value in itself. But I think a lot of which can, came after it doesn't have the standing point of being the first mover in it. And that's the reason I think, okay, a lot of people now see that NFTs are a thing and get a bit too overexcited about it. And that's the reason they invest in stuff they don't understand, and which in the end don't have value. Similar with all these ICOs we saw. I mean, there were ICOs for, I don't know, token-based dating, where you basically have tokens in a pool. And if one party doesn't show up, the other party gets the tokens. I was like, what the fuck? What, what, what use case is that? And we, we had a lot of um, these super strange use cases, which um, raised ICOs of like $10 million, like 
no, they have no value. I mean, it's, it's for, it was back then, sure, it was fancy to do an ICO and have a token for it, but in the end, there has to be some use case. And we saw now there were some projects which had use cases and now developed into massive players within the cryptocurrency space. And we will have the same in NFTs, but at the state of which the market is right now, I don't know, 95 to 99% will be worthless because they are just a product of hype. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's such an interesting space, right? And like we talked about before, when we talk about NFTs five, 10 years from now, we're going to be talking about something completely different. But the thing is that right now, you know, it's those art projects that are driving it, right? That's the interesting part. It's the easy thing to catch our attention and to, and to drive this industry that's going to start. I also think it's super important. It always has to start with a hype because people have to get interest and there has to go some money into the space so that development happens. I think it's fine that it's going away. I just, I think you have to be a bit cautious of it. Absolutely. Um, Alex, it was a pleasure talking to you today, learning more about Coinpanion. How can people, you know, follow you on social media? Obviously, you know, visit your website as well, coinpanion.com. How can they visit you? How can they get in touch with you or, or your company? Yeah, we also offer um, a bonus code for everybody who listens, which is ALT20. So if they sign up for companion.com, they get a 20 euros bonus on their first deposit. So it's actually free money. So try it out. <laughs> so the, the, the coupon is uh, ALT20, A-L-T-S-20. Yeah. And if people want to follow, yeah, if they want to know more about my opinions, because I I write a lot about the space <laughs> and read a lot about the space and have a lot of opinion about the space. So if people are interested in it, they can easily follow me on LinkedIn, which is Alexander Faltinger. And yeah, follow me on my journey to become a crypto entrepreneur and also my opinions on the markets and develop developments in it. Really learned a lot today, Alex. And, and that's always uh, why I look forward to doing these podcasts, just learning from you guys and, and continuing to have these discussions. So, uh, Alex, again, thank you very much. Thanks for, for being here, and I'm sure our, our listeners will appreciate it. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Alex described the times we're living in as a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in terms of money and emerging technologies. I tend to agree with him, but at the same time, it's the tried-and-true methods of being patient and staying the course that he advocates for investors. I applaud Coinpanion's efforts to acknowledge and address the energy issues of digital currencies and being proactive in creating CO2 neutral portfolios. For our listeners in Europe, Alex is offering 20 euros when you invest just 50 euros into one of Coinpanion's portfolios. That's 20 free euros when you fund a portfolio for just 50 euros. Just make sure to use the code ALTS20. That's A-L-T-S-20. 20 with no spaces. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let others know about it. We find our guests so interesting and knowledgeable, and I know others will too. Or leave a review or hit the follow button. Until the next episode, take care.